Thank you, Nick. We've been studying the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel in action. These past few weeks, we've heard stories about the Gospel in action and what happens in the life of a follower of Christ uh, when they share the Gospel. And I uh, appreciate your words, Nick. Okay, Bridge Kids, you are dismissed. You may go to your classes. Thank you very much for joining us for worship. The rest of us are in Mark chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 this morning in the Gospel of Mark, the beginning of the end times. How do you get ready for the end times? Um, Bridge kids are going to experience the end times. We're just going to talk about it here. Um, You know, not every passage in the Bible is a feel-good passage. This is one of those passages that is not a feel-good passage passage. How do you get ready for the end time events? Here's one way. Uh, I came across a website. Are you ready for the end of the world? If not, a company named Vivos, I'm not sure that's pronounced correctly, can help you and your loved ones get prepared. The Vivos website says whether we want to believe it or not, we are on the cusp of, of an increase in a number and magnitude of events that may, in the twinkling of an eye, change the world as we know it. They list a range of possible cataclysmic disasters, including Armageddon, plagues, a solar kill shot, a super volcanic eruption, major earth changes, killer asteroids and comets, mega tsunamis, an economic meltdown, not to mention man-made threats, including nuclear explosions, reactor meltdown, biological or chemical disasters, terrorism, and a widespread anarchy. But, here's the good news, for a mere $35,000 per person, you can co-own an underground Vivos shelter and one of their airtight, fully self-contained, impervious complexes designed to survive any catastrophe. You won't need God. Uh, Here's a quote from their website. Our complexes comfortably accommodate community groups from 50 to 1,000 people in spacious living quarters, outfitted and stocked for a minimum of one-year autonomous survival to ride out the potential events. Every detail has been considered and planned for. Members need only to arrive before their... before their facility is locked down and secured from the chaos above. So just get there on time, bring your money, and you'll be good. Their website warns that millions will perish or, worse yet, struggle to survive. But they also boldly promise Vivos is your solution to ride out these catastrophes so you may survive to be a part of the next Genesis. And uh, at the end, they say, um, it wasn't raining when Noah uh, built the ark. So um, when disaster is predicted, you won't need God. uh, You'll just need Vivos. So why not use the fear that people have about the future and uh, start a business? Jesus Christ was not a doomsdayer. He was a truth teller. And today our passage is truth about the end time events. So on Sunday, this is the last week of Jesus' life. On Sunday, 
Jesus went to the temple. On Tuesday, Jesus went to the temple. Uh, on Monday, he went to the temple in Jerusalem. On Tuesday, he went to the temple on Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. This was the last week before he is crucified on Friday. It's Tuesday afternoon, his third day in the last week. And verses 1 through 4, we see the significance of the temple. The significance of the temple. The description of greatness in verse 1. Mark chapter 13, verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. The temple in Jesus' day was the third temple in Jerusalem. Solomon built the first temple a thousand years before the birth of Christ. It was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar around 586 B.C. It was rebuilt by a servant of God named Zerubbabel. And that wasn't a great temple, and it began to decay and fall apart. And then Herod the Great decided to give a gift to the Jewish people in Israel, and he rebuilt a magnificent temple. Um, Herod's temple was started about 20 years before the birth of Christ. Work continued for 53 uh, more years. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, not a Christian, um, described this magnificent structure in the antiquities in quite detail. Stones were 37 and a half feet long. Think about this. This is a, this is a cut stone, and there were many, 37 and a half feet long, 12 feet high and 18 feet wide. That is a large stone, and it was considered uh, one of the wonders of the ancient world. The temple on the outside had plates of gold on the exterior walls. The temple itself took up one-sixth of the city geographically, of the surface space. Um, the Jewish people were not proud of Herod, but they were very proud of the temple that Herod built. And it said that uh, Tacitus, the Roman historian of the first century, said that you could see the temple for miles away. You could see the gold shining in the sun, and you could see the white stones that looked like, white mount- looked like a white mountain from a distance in the sun. Let's look at a picture. This is a model. If you go to Jerusalem today, you can see this model. Just about everybody who goes to Jerusalem sees this. Um, It's designed to be the city of Jerusalem with the temple, what it must have appeared like in the first century. Um, That may not look like much to you, but in the ancient world, let's go to the next slide. Uh, there There was a lot of gold on the temple, and, you know, we don't put gold on buildings, buildings anymore. But there was uh, a lot of gold on this building. This is the temple that Jesus, where he went the last week. Uh, this is where, in the Old Testament, God dwelt in this building. They came to worship him here. You know, he, that, he wasn't contained there, but he dwelled there. In the New Testament... You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and and God is building a spiritual temple one person at a time into a structure, a living spiritual organism. It's a temple of God. 
But this is how they worshiped in the Old Testament. And so this is the, what the conversation is about. Uh, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Uh, verse 2, prophecy of destruction. Look at uh, verse 2. Do you see all these great buildings, Jesus replied. Now, when he says that, he's saying more than, do you get the glimpse of them? Are you, are you able to see them visually? He's saying, do you see do you understand? Do you, do you see this with perception? Do you get it? Uh, get what? Do you remember what the temple was like? Do you remember what the temple was like on the inside? Jesus was there Sunday night. On Monday, he drove out the money changers and those who were buying and selling. It was like a living stock, uh, livestock exchange. It was not a house of prayer for all nations. The religious leaders were corrupt. They care, cared more about propagating the religious system than they did about leading people to faith. And Jesus' prediction, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Wow. This is shocking for the disciples. Who would do that? How could this be? Who could throw the stones down? It would be such a pity. 600 years earlier, Daniel the prophet gave us some clues about this event. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 26. This is a very well-known passage. It's quite complicated, and I certainly don't have all the answers, but I think we can see some clues in this passage. So Daniel is the prophet, and he's saying, Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people. This is the angel speaking to Daniel. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people. Daniel's people is the nation Israel and your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin. Has transgression stopped? Has sin stopped? Nope. Uh, to atone for wickedness, has that taken place? Yes. First century, Jesus died on the cross for an atonement for sin, to bring everlasting righteousness. Do we have everlasting righteousness? Not yet. To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. So keep the slide right there. Stay back. One, go back. So to anoint the most holy place. That would be the temple in Jerusalem. At the top it says 77s. We could go into a long explanation of this, but... A seven was a seven-year period prophetically. It's 70 times seven. It's 490-year period. And so what the angel is saying to Daniel is, Daniel, for your people, for the nation Israel, there's a 490-year period given to accomplish all these things. Next slide. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, temple was destroyed at the time of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. So now they're waiting for a time when the temple could be rebuilt. Zerubbabel will do it. Nehemiah's got to go back. Ezra's got to go back to the land. So some scholars have, have projected a date, and that's all it is, is a projection 446 B.C. It's when that decree was made. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, there's only one, person that this refers to. The anointed one is the Messiah. 
It is the Christ. It is Jesus. So Daniel's prophesying 600 years before the birth of Christ until the Messiah, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Seven and 62 make 69. So he says until we get to this period, it's going to be 69 weeks of that 70 week. 69 with one week left, one seven-year period left. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt. Okay, city's going to be rebuilt. Temple's going to rebuilt, be rebuilt. It wasn't built in Daniel's day. After 62 sevens, the anointed one will be, cut, will be put to death and have nothing. Jesus died in Jerusalem. That is a marker right there. Next slide. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. That temple got rebuilt. Now it's going to get destroyed again. 70 A.D., Titus, the Roman general, marched into Jerusalem. And not only did he want to destroy the city, he wanted it to be totally devastated. So the most important uh, piece of real estate in the city was was the temple. You saw a picture of it and how massive the stones were. He made sure that those stones were pulled down. If you go to Jerusalem today, there has not been a temple rebuilt since Titus tore it down. There is part of a wall left in the city that's ancient, but that's all. Everything else was pulled down. It was uh, dragged into uh, the Kidron Valley, and architects have found, or architects, excuse me, archaeologists have found stones from the temple in the Kidron Valley. People of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The Romans, the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. We're going to come back to this passage next week. But uh, so there's a clue in the Old Testament that this temple that Jesus just predicted would be destroyed. Not only that, do you remember just, uh, I think it was on Sunday, Jesus, excuse me, it was on Sunday, Jesus cursed the fig tree, and it withered up, and it was a living parable because the, of the, the, religious, the Jewish religious system was so corrupt, and they looked good on the outside, and the temple was so marvelous, and yet it was empty on the inside, and it was going to fail, and it was, it was cursed, and it would be destroyed, and the, and the fig tree was a parable, just a picture of it. Verses 3 and 4, questions of disciples. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. So enter Andrew. He doesn't get mentioned much, very little. Peter, James, and John are always with Jesus close by, and now Andrew is here. Verse 4, tell us when these things uh, happen and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled. Those are good questions. Within their question is one wrong assumption. They assume that the destruction of the temple will begin, the, will be the start of the end times, that with the destruction comes the end times, and it's a wrong assumption. The birth pains and the end times, verses 5 through 8. First, the deception, verse 5. Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. Deception will be a chief feature of future things. Think about it. To be deceived. Um, 
Satan's primary from, from the Garden of Eden has been to deceive, has been to distort ideas, to misquote, to slightly change. That's exactly what he did with Eve in the Garden, just, just little, argued with her a little bit, just slightly. And uh, deception is going to be a supreme feature. People will try to deceive other people. Some people will be easily deceived. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, this is a little bit later, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith. That's a period in future history called the Great Apostasy. Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Deception will be a key feature of future things. And there's going to be... demonic spirits behind some of the deception. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine or sound teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, stories that aren't true become more popular, and will be followed. So just deception is going to be a key feature. Verse 6, false Christ. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. It's still about deception. The deception will uh, include a great deal of religious deception. Some will claim to be the Christ. Jesus is saying, expect that. Don't be surprised. Don't be alarmed. Expect this to happen. They will come and say, I am he. I am is a name for God. It's a, it's a reference that Jesus made several times about himself. It's how God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. This I am. And, there, and somebody's going to come along and say, I am the one. I am God's son. I am the promised one. I am the one everybody's been waiting for. All history is moving uh, toward me and for me. So expect people to claim I am he. Um, In my lifetime, and some of you will know these, Reverend Sun Moon of the Unification Church has claimed to be the Christ. Jim Jones of the People's Temple in Jonestown, Guyana, claimed to be the Christ. Charles Manson, famous death row inmate, claimed to be the Christ. I remember getting up on a Sunday morning, April 25th, 1982, the whole page in the Des Moines Register, and this was all over the nation, so I I bet it was on, even made it to the leader telegram. I should go back and check this out. Lord Maitreya in the New Age Movement appeared in the Himalayas, and it was announced to the world, New York Times, he was the Christ. Never heard much about him, but he was announced. David Koresh, Branch Davidian, Waco, Texas, February 28, 1993. Uh, That's when he met his end, his end time. In the future, here's the deal. Here's what Jesus was telling him. Think about this. This was the first century that he was talking to his disciples. Many people will be deceived. 
Many people are going to come in my name. They're going to represent me. They're going to say they are the Messiah. They are the promised one. Expect that, Jesus said. Look at verse 7. Next will be wars. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Do not be alarmed. People get so upset over uh, the news. I mean, I, I understand news events, and I don't enjoy all the news events, but Jesus is saying, don't be alarmed. This is not the end. So we have to be careful. See, Christians want to grab uh, some kind of news event and then, oh, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. Yes, he's coming. No doubt about it, he's coming. But this event is not necessarily more important than yesterday or tomorrow. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. So, guess what? There are going to be wars and wars and wars and wars and rumors of wars. In Europe, over the last 300 years, there have been over 300 wars. In the 20th century, which we're a little more familiar with, I mean, I, I know some of you are not familiar with the 20th century, but some of you are. World War I. The Great War, World War II, the war that went end all wars, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, two wars in Iraq, Afghanistan. You know what? Expect wars to continue. Could you imagine the disciples being fast forward into a thousand years into the future from their day? Where would that place them? Right in the middle of the Crusades. 300 years of the Holy Lands being fought for by Christians and Muslims. The bloodiest hit, part of the bloodiest history of the world. Over the Holy Land. Wars and wars and wars and wars. Don't be alarmed by wars. The point is, Jesus is preparing his followers for the future. Verse 8 political and environmental upheaval. Look at verse 8. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. There are beginning of birth pains. These are the beginning of birth pains. Expect political upheaval. Boy, all you have to do is read the news, watch it on television. Political upheaval. Expect that. Governments will change. In the disciples' lifetime, This is after Jesus went to heaven, but while the disciples, most of them were still alive, in a four-year period, Rome had four emperors in four years. That's pretty drastic for the Roman Empire. And, uh, you know, the disciples said, what does this mean? What does this mean? Jesus said this would happen. Jesus said this would happen. Hold, Hold the line. Hold the line. It's exactly what Jesus said. Time is not the end. Jesus would say, don't quit your day job, guys, just because there's a war. There will also be major changes in the environment. There will be earthquakes and famines. Earthquakes can create devastating tsunamis. We've seen that recently in our own lifetime. 2005, about 250,000 people were killed just because of an earthquake. That got our attention. That was huge. It was a major issue. It makes this, ask this question, what does this mean? Expect that there's going to be uh, environmental upheaval. 
famines bring starvation, and uh, we see death on a massive scale with, with famines. And Jesus warned, this is not the end. This is the beginning of birth pains. Labor contractions. Birth pains are painful. I don't know. I just, my wife told me. <laughs> birth pains become more intense and more frequent before the birth. More intense, more frequent. In the case of end time events, political upheaval and environmental upheaval will continue to be more and more intense. These are birth pains to anticipate a new birth, a new kingdom, a new age that's yet to come where Jesus will rule as king and he will eventually establish an eternal kingdom. So, persecution of the end times, verses 9 through 13, it just keeps getting a little worse as we go here. This is one of the worst, most difficult sections in the Bible. Persecution of the end times. Persecution from governing authorities, verse 9. So he's talking to his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and the rest. This is around 30 A.D. or 33 A.D., however you want to do the calendar. He says, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues on the account of me. And you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. It will apply to Jesus' followers in the first century. And it applies to Jesus' followers today. In their case, there were local councils in the synagogues. Um, And in the synagogue, you could be, for stepping out of line or being a heretic of some kind, you could be flogged with 39 lashes from a whip. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, it's exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. Five times he received 39 lashes from the Jews for being a witness for Christ, for speaking up for Jesus. He was persecuted. Three times he was beaten with rods, by the Jews. Uh, One time he was stoned, like capital punishment, and left for dead, and he survived. This was real persecution. In the case of Paul in Acts 21 through 28, he was arrested in Jerusalem. He gave his testimony to an angry crowd. He spoke before the Sanhedrin. Do you remember who they are? They were like the ruling council in Jerusalem, the most important group made up of Pharisees and Sadducees and the high priest. He, they were very angry with him, and he, got, he witnessed before them. He was transferred to Caesarea uh, after a plot to kill him. He was on trial before Governor Felix. He was on trial before Governor Festus. He was on trial before King Agrippa, and then he went on to Rome where... His desire was to appear before Caesar. We don't know if he ever did. We don't know who he talked to other than what we see in Acts 28 where he's chained to a Roman soldier in an apartment for two years. And we don't know what exactly happened to him. We assumed he was set free at that point. The point that Jesus is making is to to his followers, this is not going to be easy, folks. This is not going to be an easy life. I wonder if we're deceived. We, we have this idea that to be a Christian means, well, 
To be blessed means to be comfortable. It means to prosperity. It means a good life. It means the best education, the best home. And we, we sometimes almost act like we're entitled to these things. We get confused with being American and being a Christian. And um, we sometimes get deceived. Jesus said we, should, we would get persecuted. And, we, and I'm not, we live in a country where I don't get persecuted. I, I'm not trying to, I, I like that. But everything Jesus said warns me life is going to be hard and it can be hard and that shouldn't surprise us. We should not be surprised. Verse 10, expansion of the gospel proclamation. And the gospel must be preached to all nations. Before the end, Jesus told his followers, the gospel, it is necessary. It is absolutely necessary. It must be preached. It must be proclaimed to uh, all nations. This is number one priority. This is uh, your job. He's telling his disciples. Remember, he's going to, after his resurrection, he's going to stand before them and say, Therefore, go make disciples. Go to all the world. Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. The gospel, that's what, uh, that's what the role of the disciples would be, proclaiming the gospel. Our role has not changed. It is still the number one priority. That's why we exist as a church to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. It is about communicating the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that he died on the cross, that he paid the penalty for our sins, and that he's accomplished everything that we need for salvation, and that he offers forgiveness when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and trust him and nothing else. It's not about good works because he's done the work. And that's a message we receive by faith. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. So Jesus doesn't want his followers to get sucked into the doomsday clock. He wants them to focus on their role, proclaim the gospel. It's going to be hard. You're going to be arrested. Uh, People aren't going to like you. You're, You're going to go before governing authorities. Proclaim the gospel. Verse 11, he tells them how he's equipped them. Reliance on the Holy Spirit. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at, that time, at this time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises to, to equip his followers with his Holy Spirit, the one sent by the Father. They must rely on him for wisdom and leadership and for, uh, for guidance, and he will provide what is needed. And he says to them, when you face opportunities to be an ambassador for Christ, even uh, when you are arrested, the Holy Spirit will give you the words that you need. He says this in John 16, verses 12 through 15. It's a slightly different way. He says, I have much more to say to you. And this, John 16, is, is uh, the last night of his life. The next morning, he will be crucified. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. This should have been really comforting. 
Maybe it wasn't comforting on this night, but it's going to be really comforting in a week later and two weeks later and a month later. The Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Next slide. All that belongs to the Father's mind, that is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So Jesus' intentions is to use the Holy Spirit to communicate with his followers. John 14, 26 says this, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That's got to be comforting. To be reminded. Now, what did Jesus say? I can't remember. And you start debating with your cohorts and... Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, this is what he said. And so Jesus is telling this important, uh, crucial information that in this pressure of, the, of, these, of this stress and this persecution, the Holy Spirit, you need to rely on the Holy Spirit. You need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he will direct you. He will give you words. But it gets worse. Persecution from the family, verse 12. Expect persecution from family members. Brothers will repay, betray brother to death, and a father, his child, children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. This is not fun, is it? We don't see this much in America where we have persecution from family. We, we can have family members not like us sometimes if they, they're not interested in the same things we are spiritually. Uh, but this happens today when a Muslim becomes a Christian in Muslim countries. Often reports of mutilation and torture and even uh, death. Jesus is warning his followers that this will happen. Count the cost. Be prepared for it. Brothers will betray brothers to death and father his child. Verse 13, last verse, persecution in everyday society. Everyone will hate you because of me. Boy, that sounds like fun. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. It won't be just your family members that will dislike you. Jesus is telling his followers. It will be the people all around you. And here's the promise. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. This is called perseverance of the saints. Um, it's the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is not a new doctrine of salvation. Salvation is by uh, faith through grace or by grace through faith. But endurance, perseverance is the fruit of salvation. It's the fruit of walking with Christ. Is be, being able to stay Stand your ground uh, in the midst of persecution. John 15, verses 18 through 20. Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than its master. Next slide. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, guess what, guys? They will obey your teaching also. Uh, Jesus was preparing 
his followers for suffering. Suffering was normal for his followers. We don't like difficult things. We don't like trials. We think if God loves us, we should be comfortable. We should be happy. We should have a good life. And all through the New Testament, we are reminded that suffering is something that happens to all who follow Christ. It can be relational issues, health issues. And yes, um, God protects us from a lot of dumb things happening to us. But he doesn't keep us from every difficulty. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. You see, this is about 30 years after Jesus told the disciples about the end time events, that there would be suffering. Peter's already experienced a lot. Peter will be arrested in Rome and uh, apparently crucified upside down. That's how he will die. And here's what he tells the church. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come. Jesus told us all about this stuff. It comes to you as a test, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Next slide. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Because if you suffer for your disobedience, you, you should expect that. That would be justice. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Last slide. For it is a time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now the last slide. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. That's it. Commit yourself to your faithful creator and do good. Proclaim the gospel. That's the message Jesus wants his followers to have. Jesus wanted his followers to trust him. Night before his death, he said, trust in God, trust also in me. I'm going to go to my father's house. I'm going to prepare a place for you. The disciples in Mark 13 were enamored by the magnificence of the temple. Jesus told them it would be destroyed. The disciples wanted to know when. What were the signs? No signs were given, only birth pains. They should expect political and environmental upheaval. They should not get sidetracked by any of these things. Their job is our job to proclaim the gospel to all people groups. We should expect difficulty. We should expect there's going to be some suffering. We must rely on the Holy Spirit to advance the gospel. The kingdom of God is coming. The king is coming. And he's going to make all things right. You can count on it. But right now, it's birth pains. Let's stand and pray. Father, um, I thank you for the warning of Jesus about future things. And Lord, a lot of these things are kind of discouraging, but yet uh, 
They bring us to reality and they remind us of important things. And we get caught up sometimes in being comfortable and having a nice life. And we lose sight of the most important things for you and what, what that cost might mean. And whether we're followers of Christ or not, we all face difficulty and we have a choice to embrace you and to walk with you through difficulty and see you answer prayer and see you strengthen us and heal the deep wounds of life and bring contentment and satisfaction even when our circumstances aren't great. Thank you that we live in a country that provides that so much for us and you have blessed us with that. May we not uh, be entitled. May we not think we are entitled. May we appreciate what you've given us and the freedom you've given us. May we be serious about proclamation of the gospel for Jesus' sake. Amen.